first time I did it, I had no knowledge of it. You know, so I, I didn't know I was going to go 90 mile an hour and I didn't know I was going to run out of road. Right. But the second time when I'm standing there at the top, you're like, I'm about to go 90 mile an hour again and I'm choosing to do it this time. You know, but the first time was in ignorance, the second time. But oh. it's that same thing. If you don't do it, right, it's over. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Venomscape podcast. I'm your host, Zach Matum. Uh, this is episode three. It is part two of a doubleheader with Pete Connolly. And if you haven't heard the first episode, uh, it's probably worth checking out, even though we kind of split this up because I really think the second one can stand on its own. The first one is more about his early career, uh, his skate origins, and kind of some deep history about the UK and, and European downhill scene. But this one is pretty much just focused around Pete's quest and ultimate success to become the fastest downhill skateboarder of all time. He achieved a top speed of 91.17 miles an hour, which is uh, by far and away the fastest anybody had ever gone and is a record that could really stand for some time. Uh, he spent a really large amount of time preparing for that event. He did all kinds of stuff that I did think of and a whole bunch of stuff that I wouldn't have thought of either and really just committed his whole skate being to that specific aim for the better part of two years. It's a really cool story, and as, as a skate downhill geek, I absolutely love this episode. I still get goosebumps when I listen to it. I've, you know, I did the interview, I got on the plane and listened to it on the way back. I listened to the audio again when I got home. I've now edited most of it. I'm still looking forward to doing the final you listen through because it's just, it's a gem. One of my favorite things about this one is how we were able to talk about kind of competition philosophies and especially the difference between Pete and mine, uh, especially in regards to rules and regulations and exploration of the edge of the rule book. And uh, Pete talks about one instance or at the second top speed where a rider was wearing a chainmail vest uh, when they achieved their highest speed. Uh, that was Max Caps. He went 90-something miles an hour and had the exact same measured speed as Anders Indy uh, and was technically awarded third place in the competition. This was a little bit of a drama at the time because ballast on the body was expressly forbidden in the rule book. But he was making the case that a chainmail vest could technically be construed as protection, and I'm not going to tell you it can't be. You know, I'm, I've always thought about what if you made your spine protector out of steel plates or something, and if I tell the race organizer, oh, well, this is the best protection I can have for my spine, and they say, no, it's ballast, you have to take it off, and then I break my back, well, that's going to be a pretty easy lawsuit, right? So it turned out, I, I talked to Max earlier today to make sure that I had all the facts on this right, and he, he reminded me that he went and looked in the rule book and got really nitty-gritty about it and basically said that he could technically disqualify everybody else in the entire event except for Tim Dell, who would have been the world record holder because he was the second fastest speed, and Kyle Wester for the illegal use of tape. Now, I obviously didn't peruse the rule book as hard as I could have because I was not really thinking I was going to win that event. But I can't believe that nobody read it well enough to figure out that they weren't allowed to use tape or that the race organizer was so thick that they would think that they could put on a top speed event and not allow tape. So the bottom line was that it was kind of a 
corruption of the rules, but in a event where the race organizers were not as stringent as they could have been about enforcement and uh, making sure that everybody really knew all the rules backwards and forwards. So the results stand, of course. Uh, but I just wanted to make it clear that that was an instance where the race organizers were perhaps not as crisp as they could have been about implementation and that it wasn't a direct defiance. You know, it wasn't like they said, Max Caps, you can't wear ballast. And he said, well, I'm doing it anyway to go as fast as I can. It was absolutely ambiguous and hopefully something that will be cleared up in the future if an event like that ever happens again, where there will either be very, very strict uh, enforcement or a full-out unlimited class. Either one I'm totally fine with, as long as maybe the rules of the next event aren't uh, more restrictive than the previous. Anyway, I'm not going to tell you too much about it because it's pretty long and goes into pretty great depth, but please enjoy. You know, Pete Connolly is a hero of mine, should be a hero of yours. You probably will be by the end of this episode. And uh, I sure hope that we get to come back together either at that hill or at a faster one or something in the future so that we can keep pushing and maybe break that 100 miles an hour or whatever it seems to be possible. Anyway, thanks. You went to the first one, right? Yeah. yeah. So, what, so you found out it was happening, decided you wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Did you do any special preparation for the first top three? Yeah, yeah, I did a hell of a lot. I, I've um, so I still wanted to skate the fastest I've ever skated. So that was still a goal for that. Right, because you went seventy Teutonia, but there was a chance to go eighty. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. this is a miles per hour country, so that kind of meant something to you. Yep. Like, exactly that. Because <laughs> everybody else is like, "What's the difference? Like one seventy four just doesn't have the ring, or one twenty four. Yeah, yeah, one forty six just doesn't have the ring. Yeah. You know." I'm going to check something, Zach. So I'm sorry because I know this. No, is... no, no problem. It's all, it's all authentic. Let's skip to top speed. Top speed stuff. I might ask you to do the photo review second because I, I want to get it narrative form for the podcast if that's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, what I'm doing is reminding myself what I did when. Okay. Because the two top speeds. Also, bear in mind, it's your story, and if it's not factually accurate, no one's going to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll go for it if I can. Ah, <laughs> man, the cliff slider in the package. That was like my, one of my first... Cliff's the wheels on this one. Yeah. Freshies. One of the first... Uh, no, the first race. My first downhill race that I went to, like, that I entered, I brought... I had Venom Bushings with me. And I used to, like, trade them and sell them. Anything for value, like... And I always got rid of them right away, but... Hoodie. You guys know Hoodie? He has, like, the guy with the Loco Express. Hoodie. Oh, yeah, the... Yeah. Hoodie fucking sucks, but... Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he had, like, a bunch of random long words, like, to trade... Because he knew his bushings were valuable. He wasn't going to ride them. He was going to sell them later, but it doesn't matter. But he had a uh, Rain Chris Dahl agent like signature, brand new, that I was like, no, that's not worth anything. Give me that loaded pintail. <laughs> <laughs> Should have taken the Chris Dahl board. Dude, this is a very deeply unknown truck, the Gus truck. 
Yeah. This was a very coveted, like, budget slalom, like, front truck. That was picked up um, in Zurich at Rolladen with that board. Do you know who made the Gus truck? Like, where they came from? I don't. No. What was the airflow slalom truck? Was that like just a precision base? Oh no, it's a precision hanger, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, on a tracker base plate, and it was a uh, rip-off. Well, not rip-off, redesign sort of of a Turner TTC, which is like the first yeah downhill rear truck precision. And then like so, the airflow and the first gen split here we go. Yeah. Existed at the same time. And then the third gen split fire went to the Randall geometry. You got your saber fairings. Yeah. So if you go go to those boxes there, um, about eye height, go one box up, pull that box out. Dude, these old ass speed vents actually slid super well. Wow, this place is amazing, Pete. Okay, yeah, here we go. I remember some of this shit. Yes! Designed by Martin Sieglist. Yeah! They are the first generation, um, so they originally were for Magoon trucks, right, right. Uh, but he's modded them for Sabre trucks. Yeah, I got my one. Three D printing. Three D printing like hadn't really started to pop off yet. Yeah, my one's acetone to be exposed. Uh, you know, it burns the top layer off. Yeah, yeah. Just to yeah, I need to do some modifying. But yeah, that's so sick. On the Magoons, oh, just because. Because it's all like they're square. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, just it slots in so nice. No problem. Whoa! I remember the giant ones. Holy shit! So, first year for top speed. The main thing I, I tried a load of kooky shit um, and a few aero mods and stuff. But the main thing I was trying to do was try different wheels. So I. Tried skating on inline wing wheels, so yeah, I've been that's to like a lot of people had that thought. Yeah, it's not a good thought. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember in two thousand eight, Karen's tried to ride rollerblade wheels on wrist, Ooh. and wrist is not straight. The, like, didn't he try it on a slow hill first, or did he just rock I up to wrist? I don't think so. I think he was just like, let's oh, do fuck. this, and uh, like did barely made it through the first right turn, which is not at super speed. I think he. I didn't. I didn't make it. Like anywhere, like I made it like up to not probably about 35 mile an hour. My board just started drifting, although the road surface wasn't great that I was on. But yeah, I don't think I even made 40 mile an hour until my board just started doing like this underneath my feet. Wow! And then like I had to grab rail and pop it sideways and just, just pop like, the core out. Yeah, bomb. And I was like, yep. Okay, that's Fuck not that. the way. <laughs> um, so these are scooter wheels. Okay, 200 millimeter. 
Yeah. Like, so, and you tried those. And then they've got, like, kooky size bearing spaces and everything. So oh, I had so to custom make a Sabre truck. So I kind of, like, took the axles out and made this axle to take these. Right, so the bearings are way, way further apart than a skate truck. So yeah, yeah. the axle had to be crazy long. Um, and so a 200 mil wheel also had to stick out from your board. Uh -huh, so so yeah, did you ride these at top speed? Yeah, yeah. No, 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 I didn't ride them at okay. top speed. No, these, these were the things I did before top speed. Okay. Like, wow. trying out ideas to be like, can this work? You know, is this, is this the thing that's going to... Right, at this point, it's a hill you've never been to before, too. Yeah. So no yeah, yeah, knowledge yeah. So, of like pavement or like the fact that you had to go through a not insignificant turn after the finish line. Yeah, or real any concept of what that speed was going to feel like and the fact that you want to be really planted and right. feel safe. Yeah, because the acceleration too is like it's like nowhere else I've ever been. It happens so fast that you just it's over really quickly. If your legs are slightly not on center, you just don't go fast. So I went... Um, here we go, yeah, here we go. So I started, um, I tried to mod the light speed helmet by putting a proper helmet in it. Okay, that but clearly But by the time he got a helmet in it, it was no longer an aero helmet, so that was utterly pointless. Um, I started trying to find a speed suit. So right, so I, the first year, not everybody had speed suits, not everybody thought they were going to be faster, yeah. which seemed asinine. Like, But we hadn't found the super sweet one that everybody knows about now. Right. Um, so I was phoning up sex shops and gimp shops and literally just, <laughs> like you know. Like, actually. Yeah, yeah, like proper ones. <laughs> yes. So I, I was like, I was at work, um, me and Zoe worked together, and I'm just there on the phone, like, phoning up sex shops and just like, hi, yeah, I'd like uh, one of your latex suits. And they're like, yeah, would you like a mask with that? And you're like, no, thanks, I don't need the mask. <laughs> and I'm like, trying to keep a straight face. Right. This is an important point of fact for uh, <laughs> listeners out there who are trying to make fun of this. Uh, a gimp suit covers the head and face. Uh, what we wear for skateboarding is a cat suit. Yeah. And um, some of the ones I got had zips that went all the way through your crotch and up halfway yeah, yeah, up your yeah. back for yeah, access. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can see from these pictures that it wasn't. They were just not. Yeah. It not was too thick a latex? Too thick, not a good fit. Um, yeah, just generally, you know... They're probably not made to fit over leathers. Yeah, the fit absolutely stunk. So I kind of... I didn't bring, like, a suit to top speed because I didn't get a good one. Right. Um, I practised and was using lead and ballast a lot. So the first year at top speed, I lined the top of my board entirely with lead, just like a full... What thickness? Like one millimetre? Two millimetres? Six gauge. Um, oh. I've got it here, so this is... My lead projects are kind of all kicking around the shed somewhere. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> wow. Literally, there you go. Okay, so yeah, probably like one millimeter of lead. Yeah. For the whole board, though, so. Yeah, for the whole board. And did that do much for vibration dampening? Yeah, it rode, it rode pretty good. I actually quite liked it. Yeah, I bet. Um, fuck it to stop. Right. <laughs> like, really, really. But... With the grip tape on, you couldn't really see that it was modded at all. Right, I didn't um, notice until I picked your board up and, and could understand how heavy it was without any weights on it. Yeah. Uh, so that was like the first year. So I, I did a lot of training. I went to a spot uh, up north called Chapel. Um, 
and basically like practiced different wheels, different weights, different equipment. Uh, this three, is chapel. That's where you rode your rollerblade wheels. This is that. This okay. is like Titania in England. This is this is a good hill. Like I, I did 67 mile an hour. Wow. Okay, that's like no I, joke. Like I, I, I want to go back and do 70 here. I really think I can hit 70 on this hill in England. So that's that's one of my little goals at the moment. Epic. Um, that like 67, like that puts that in pretty top tier, like top yeah. 50 fastest hills, you know, I don't know about 15, but. So I made a leg fairing to close off the gap in between yeah, your yeah. legs, top yeah. deck above the helmets. So here is, this is your former tuck. This, uh, is, this was trying to shorten. But not, uh, this is still sideways. sideways yeah, it's still thing. sideways tucking. Yeah, okay. still sideways tucking. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I skated with this a bit. It's really, really damn hard to skate with an insert. Um, like you, your legs are your suspension, and uh -huh. they bounce up and down. And when you put something solid in between them, they don't anymore. Yeah, it doesn't feel great. So this this had like foam on top and bottom, so it had a bit of squidge. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, because your back heel is over on the rail of the board, the fairing always sits slightly squiff into the wind. So yeah. I experimented with it and felt that the the comfort that I lost wasn't worth the aerodynamic advantage. So that makes total sense. That didn't make it. Um, so none of these things are in the realm of kooky stuff. No. So what were the kooky things that you tried? I'd say this was. I don't know, man. This was. So what is this? This is that. That's, oh, that's your leg that. fairing. Yeah. Oh, so your leg fairing is. Is, is kooky stuff. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's fairly kooky, yeah. Yes, okay. As I was going to say, if this is in the category of not kooky stuff, I'm like, what on earth? No, no, no. This, this was. So, no, like, yeah, like getting sex suits and trying leg fairings and stuff. Okay. Yeah, and, and slapping that much lead onto my board. and. No, slapping lead onto your board is not kooky stuff. That's just science. Yeah. Everybody knows that. That was like the one thing that everybody at that first top speed had. Like, everyone had enough lead to make weight. But I started really working, so I moved my back foot more central. So normally when I'm racing, my, my back foot's offset a little bit right. more. So I straightened up my tuck a bit. But I was using paint, and I still do, like for foot references to work out. So you look down out. to make yeah. sure you're consistent. So that, that was the first year for top speed. So okay. yeah, I put some so effort so in. So you went but... to top speed the first year. And what was your speed that year? Uh, I got 80. So Okay, yeah, pretty good. I hit, yeah. But I bet then that, because that year the top top speed was only 85. Yeah. But also, like, Carlos has speed suit. Like, we know now the speed suit alone is good for three miles an hour. Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. At that speed. It, I think um, certainly three miles an hour if you're just putting it over your levers. Oh, if you've got didn't aero Carlos levers. didn't Carlos do his fastest time in just a talking suit? Yeah, but that was a speed suit. So the, that was a, it was made from leather, yes. Right. But it's the lack of bulk of the suit. Right. That's as important. Right, a talking as suit the with finish. no pads is just a leather speed suit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which was basically what I made for the second year. Which right. was yeah. Okay, eighty is pretty good. It's not that much Eight. faster than me. I just want to say, like, you should have gone faster. Did you? I did have a speed suit the first year though, but it was a shit one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, no, you did your eighty that first year as well, no, didn't you? No, I didn't. I ah. No, I did. I did. I was the. I was tenth place, and I was the slowest rider to do to do eighty. Okay. Because I did 80 the first year, 81 the second year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. I, did, I did do 80 because it was, 
uh, I remember because I went one, like, 0.1 miles an hour faster than Michaud. And that, that was like, yeah, but whatever. He must have had way slower wind. Uh, so, okay, so I did do 80. Huh. So, yeah, I, I put a fair bit of effort in, but it was all unknown, you know? Like, I hadn't been to the event. I hadn't gone that speeds, didn't really know what it was like. I mean, you know what the first year of that event was like. Oh, it was yeah. like a family gathering of speed freaks, you know? Right, it was cool, sudden, though, man. Everybody that was there was there for speed. And, and it, it was like a, I, I talked about this on the podcast that I did with uh, Dubois, that what I loved about Top Speed was that that first year, it was the first time ever that you could rock up with all your kooky shit and nobody, nobody said anything about it. Like, if you showed up at Paragoods with a leg fairing, like, it yeah. was going to be openly ridiculed until you won the race. Yeah. And then it was going to be, like, people were going to talk shit about it otherwise. Like, it, it was going to be something they used to cheapen your victory. They'd be like, oh, if you had not It's like yeah. that kind of thing. But when you went to Top Speed that first year, it was just everybody... That first meetup in the parking lot where everybody just, like, unpacked their car. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Well, you got. my ideas. Yes. Yeah, like, <laughs> exactly. it was so much fun. It wasn't only not ridiculed. It was, like... Fully like, what have you done? Oh, what have you done? Oh, you right. thought oh, that? Oh, wow, you're going to yeah. try to ride with the hat. <laughs> yeah, so it was it was super, super interesting. I mean, you kind of, like, yeah. really led it on that one, like, with your, like, carbon fiber leg fairings and the blind beast. And, yeah, yeah that's, but that that's what it was about. None of that shit fucking worked, but yeah, but I did my fastest time at Ibex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talking about that lack of comfort. Though, you know, that fastest run was just on the best wind. It would have been the same. Didn't you have but... your boots on as well? Weren't you in No, your... I did my last run of the event because I didn't think I was going to go any faster. I, I only did 77.8 in my boots. Oh. <laughs> Still, world cowboy boot speed record. Yeah, yeah, without doubt. <laughs> For skating, anyway. So, that was... Um... That really sowed the seed, you know, like, I went to it, and I knew, I'd skated the fastest I ever went, so I got to take the opening run at that event, so I was oh, first man down epic. the hill, which I loved, and just I, I just... that event was alphabetical fucking order. Yeah, I think so, I don't know. I just every year, it, it was yeah. like alphabetical, the, or, the order goes alphabetical by last name, and that definitely had so a profound effect on some of the people who, were, who went the fastest, I think at the second top speed, uh, because, like, let's talk about this, Pete Connolly, well, Caps, Max Caps, Caps went a few runs Tim before me, Del Rosario, We're starting to have a real flavor of the alphabet, and the Zindi, okay, a little further down the list, yeah. I hadn't even thought about that conspiracy theory until Ooh. right now. The deck alphabetical was against one. me from the day I was fucking born. <laughs> so yeah, I got the opening run on that event on that hill, and I kicked off and tucked from the top. I was like, I'm yeah, fucking here to skate this hill. I'm not going to spend a day warming up and finding out what it's like. Yeah, hell yeah. Just drop it on the first run, get it done. So that run, I think I did 76 mile an hour off the bat on that my first run. So I came there to skate the fastest I'd ever been, and first run, boom, it, it was there. So, yeah, I loved that. I loved that whole event, the atmosphere of it and everything. And it just really lit a fire for me, you know? I was right. just like... That first run was crazy mellow too, sort right? i Like, were you surprised by how nothing it was? You felt the speed, but yeah. it wasn't hard to skate. Right, that was like, yeah. I took my first run, and I was like, all right, I'm just going to tuck and see how far I can tuck. 
Yeah. And then I tucked to the bottom. And I, I think I went like 71. I was like, yeah. that's it? Well, okay, now let's go try all the kooky <laughs> shit. <laughs> as soon as you've hit like the seven, north of 70 mile an hour, really you want to stay still. You know, like, yeah. untucking at 70 is not a good idea. Right. You know, you just kind of like... I don't like, know what my plan was. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> kind of like, yeah. So once once I was kind of on that main straight and in my tuck, it was like, yeah, no, I'm not uncurling now. Right. You know, so that that was it. So I ended up just tucking the whole hill and then... So, and did you think on the at the first one, like, did you think, okay, I can win this thing? I can, I can go faster than that guy? Or do you just want to go faster than yourself? Uh, I wanted to go faster than myself. Yeah. But... I knew I could go a lot faster than I had. So I knew I knew that I could really be in the top few, yeah. I did know I could make the top few. And as I said, like I've I always had that like sideways tuck, the front foot too broad from riding wide trucks and I'd so never how did you that. so you just knew that always and just let it happen because it was worth yeah. it for racing? No, it, it, it's literally integral to how I skated. So how, yeah. how I think of, how I used to think of my tuck was a tripod. Three points of contact, my toe and heel of my front foot mm -hmm. and my, the ball of my back foot. So literally that's how side on my front foot was. Right. So I've spent years tucking with my foot in that position so as I can steer and trying to compensate. So I like put my knee through to the other side of my tuck yeah. and twist my hips and I do all sorts of things that twist my body massively trying to compensate for my front foot and I've just accepted that that was how I skated up until that point and I've enjoyed skating and I've enjoyed racing but it's been so integral to how I skate and everything I learned you know when when you've done hundreds of miles of downhill and skated Thousands. for decades in that body position there's a lot of muscle memory involved yeah you can't just be like I'm going to change my front foot and that event made me go, I'm going to change my front foot. But that came at the same time as that board. And that board's got micro drop. So I had been riding just standard concaves until that board. And it was having the micro drop that let me evolve. Because I could use the micro drop instead of the concave for the toe side steering of my front foot. Okay. So I literally now. Did you find that you're actually steering with your? You're still steering with your front toe there, or are you steering yeah. more with your back toe now? No, no, I steer with my front toe okay. on the micro drop. That's what and I do. And you have a, a hump under your front heel. Yes. What is that doing for you? That stops me having to move my foot for heel edge. Okay. So I've just basically got exaggerated concave mm -hmm. tucked underneath my heel. Oh, that's funny. And it's, it's like just a, just leverage. In my front front foot on my downhill board, I just have a. I have a heel lift in my orthotic on my front foot. I just have it inside the shoe instead. Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's a locator um, and keeps me orientated for my foot position. Because you don't have a foot stop. Normally I do. I haven't put a foot stop onto that board yet because oh, okay, I'm still go. getting my feet position right because I've actually changed the mould. That's got a different micro drop on it to my old board. Okay. So I haven't drilled it for foot stop yet. So you went home from the first one. Did you like start tucking differently like right away? Like... I knew that's what I had to do. Yeah. So, yeah, I basically spent that year rebuilding my tuck. So I literally just got my front foot into the position and was like, I need to learn this. And I put, like, tipex on my board, painted around my foot, and was just like, that's the foot position, and just, like, started racing that whole year and competing and having to deal with everything you did kind of well, position. too. You were in the semifinals of Kazakov that year, weren't you? That's once I'd already sorted it out. That was, okay. It was more 
like in English events, free rides, Gersten, where I sort of retrained and got the hang of it. Yeah. But once, as much as anything, it was a mental barrier of how I perceived myself. And once I kind of broke that and accepted that I could do it, I kind of just got on with it and it was all right. You know, but so it was kind of inspiring like, for me. If I'm gonna have to learn how to tuck my back foot like four inches behind my front truck, yeah. Right now it's impossible, but maybe it's not. It's not, man. But you just need to, yeah, really make that your goal. You know, and like I said, I've been skating for a long time without doing it, sure. and was just as well. I got the Sabre trucks, and they were getting narrower, so I'd got down to 170 trucks at that point. So that helped as well. So it was it was an overall evolution, like narrower trucks, micro drop concave, and a really strong will to make it happen because I really thought I could. But when I started it as well, like not only was it stupidly hard to imagine that I could do it, but when I started it, I was like, I'm going to try and do 80 plus mile an hour in this foot position. You know, it's not just cruising around local. I'm like, like the tripod was pretty valuable for just like blasting through yeah yeah yeah, exactly being a tank you know like i ride cup washers hard bushings heavy boards i know man i've always been astounded by how hard your bushings are (laughs) no one in the world has asked me for more 97a bushings and nothing else that's much better like i've got some softer (laughs) bushings in this now i am man of of the times I ride softer Sorry. bushings now until I'm at top speed. As soon as I go to top speed, I tank up again. Because I'm like, why wouldn't you? What? what? Like, r- b- why not indeed? Yeah, well, build the board for the hill, you know? Like, I, if I'm at Kozakov, then I've got bushings that steer. If I'm at top speed, I've got rock-hard bushings and cup washes that are just bomber. And I can ride over the crack and not worry about it. Did you ride the crack? Probably, I don't know, man. Before the speed trap, you, oh, either, yeah. you either took the left-hand line avoiding the crack, or you just no, went... No, always straight down the right-hand tire track. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. So you were right in the crack, so... Yeah. That's yeah. the smoothest line. Other than the crack itself. Well, yeah, the yeah. rest of the... But once you got into the crack, you're, you're at top speed. Yeah, yeah, you're for carry. sure, for sure. It, it's the best line. So quick sidebar from the first year. Do you... What do you think about the people who tried to... The, like, the, what is it, the gravity, world gravity sports something, you know who I'm talking about, the, like, who tried yeah. to gank the record from, uh, WGSA. WGSA, who tried to take the record away from McIntyre because he crashed after the speed trap. I, like, I wrote them a big email about how, like, smoking into the barrier at 100 miles an hour is not a braking system. No. <laughs> like, no. if you could prove to me that he deployed it intentionally... I might you lend some credence to it, but I'm it was, pretty sure he didn't. It was their rule book stated that you had to remain in control of your vehicle for the entirety of the run. Right, so where's the run? Okay, yeah, yeah, valid point. Where does As the in, run end? Because yeah. if you were at Kozakov and you had to maintain control for the entirety of the run, once you crossed the finish line, if you ate shit foot braking in the shutdown zone, were you in control for the run? Yeah, 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 that's, that's a good point, yeah. That is a good point. Right. I mean... I'm not a fan of keyboard warriors, period, you know, and that entire lot was kind of conducted on the internet post-event, and so yeah. none of that is cool with me, really, because, right. like, yeah. Especially if you're going to define something like that, you have to define where the run is. Yeah. And I would say give them the record based on the lack of lack of specific parameters. Yeah. Yeah, but. so that's the thing about any rule book. 
and rules are there to be explored. You right. know, you, I like you, that explored. You write a rule sitting in a room. Or exploited or something like that, but well, no, like it's part of like being a racer. You oh, know, yeah. like a person writes a rule book and they're sitting in a room and they're trying to think of every angle. Yes. You arrive at an event and you have the rule book and you you've got a different sort of insight and you can see that the wording can be taken in multiple ways. Right. And I, I I'm a strong believer in being like an honourable sportsman. You know, I actually yeah. like, I'm like an old school racer and like I've bowed myself out of heats where I think like the other person should have advanced and stuff, yeah. you know, like, but I'll still like do everything I can, you know. If right, so is it is it dishonourable to uh, interpret the rules creatively if they are, for instance, rules against the establishment? So rule, uh, I would say I totally agree with you with altercations with another rider, you yeah. know, you act honourably. But is it dishonorable to uh, subvert the state? So if you interpret the rules about gear or about... No, I think that's kind of how we evolve. Yeah, I think it's I think that's, that's the leading edge. Right. So that, that's how we work stuff out. So no, I think the top riders need to be able to evolve and do things that are within the rules. But you've, you've oh, got... Or that are within the rules but are not explicitly... Uh, defined. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, it's like. Yes, exactly. It's like. If you're not cheating, you're not winning. Yeah. You know, like, board can weigh seven kilograms. So none of our boards weighed seven kilograms, so we all added lead. Right. So, so that's like within the rules. No one was riding around with like three kilograms of lead strapped on their board right. until you want to go to top speed. Right. And then you're like, yeah, you put lead on your board. Like you said, that's just a no-brainer. Everybody who arrived the first year had lead on their board. Right, and that was the same but thing too. But that's within the rules. You know, that I didn't really agree at that first one with the decision to use the, the IDF rules. Because, like, would you have gone faster if you'd had more lead? Maybe. I mean, scientifically... So I, yes. I I did a lot of experiments with lead, but I actually kept it within the the seven kilogram mm. guideline because I knew the event I was going to. So okay. I didn't the the hill I showed you the like British Tetonia yeah. the fast hill. There's a cattle grid at the bottom of it. You Ooh. need to stop. Oh, I see. So I'm foot braking from mid sixties yeah, nah. for a cattle grid. With lead. So yeah, like my 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 stopping distance with the lead on was double. Because that's the it thing, like, phenomenal. for me, with a, with a top speed, you know, challenge type event, what if somebody else had put 20 more pounds of lead on and they'd gone faster than you? Yeah. Who has the record? Exactly. Within, within the rule book that's agreed by everybody. But, that, but that, who fucking cares? Okay, Who's so, the fastest man alive? So then you've got an open category, haven't you? Right. And I'm, like, I'm here for unlimited class. Like... I'd, I'd, I'd be there because there because we're not talking about you know if you go to if we go back to top speed again and it's slow wind or whatever we go to another hill where there's a top speed challenge but it's a 75 mile an hour hill yeah at that point all that matters is what's within the rules yeah but when we're talking about the fastest speed anyone has ever gone I mean if somebody else had had put 20 pounds more lead up Tim Dell puts on 20 pounds of lead and he goes 93 yeah and they say ah oh, you do not win the event and everyone goes. Who fucking cares? Everybody knows he's the fastest ever. Yeah. By any means necessary. Yeah, so 
I mean, so I, I that's what I said. I disagreed with their decision to use that metric. I, I think they should have made it just like run what you brung, but yeah, okay. So I think rule books level the playing field and they enable you to compete in a, a sense where everybody is on the same yeah. level. Yeah, and I totally think that they, they do their but purpose. If you are talking about who can go the fastest, then yeah, you're into unlimited. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, it was kind of like when Kyle just went and dropped his speed on his own hill, on his back door, without anybody else being there, and did a smoking run, absolutely smoking yeah. run. But, for example, that didn't get verified by Guinness right. because it didn't meet the Guinness rule book. Right. You know? Well, and mostly it, based on the fact that they never surrendered any data uh, from any timing system. It was an open road as well. needed to be a closed road. But so, if I went, and if I documented it sufficiently, you know, like I'm not saying I would ever be able to do this, but like if you, if I went to Wrist, which is murder chip now, so it doesn't matter. But if I had gone there and explicitly documented my timing, you know, done it really, really legit, mm. and went 95, yeah, that would still be pretty viable. Within the skate community, you'd be yes. the fastest man. So you have to so decide even what you care about. I exactly, suppose. and yeah, I think me and you both care about that. Right. Like totally. Yeah, like, as it happens, that's pretty rad. What, oh no, shit. What, what that speaks about is to people on the street. Right. Yeah. So sitting here with you, if you've done ninety three, you're the fastest man on the planet, and right. I salute you. Right. And then, right. If, but then it puts me in the position all the time where somebody says, "Oh, hey, that uh, Pete Connolly guy, he's the fastest in the world, right?" And you go, "Actually, this guy's the fastest in the world." But that was Guinness. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, yeah. Every that person already knew, yeah. So it doesn't but really matter. You can, you can like. So, so tell me this: if you got to go back to top speed, mm -hmm. within the rules or no? As long as I knew beforehand, either. So, if I'm going there to a rule book, all I want is everybody there to be to the same rule book. What I don't want is to rock up to an event that's got a rule book, and people not be doing what is within the rule book because then they have an unfair advantage. So if it's an unlimited event and I know that before I get there, then I will bring unlimited shit. So here's the thing. Would you stack that deck in your favor by just bringing your unlimited shit and then deciding whether or not you'd ride it? Not at a rule book event, no. <sighs> so you, you would be a, a sportsman? Yeah. At another top speed. You wouldn't just while out and be like, I don't care, I'm trying to go my fastest. No, no. Like, we had this at the second one with the chainmail. True. Okay, and yeah, like, me, I didn't think that was cool. Okay. Because we had a riders meeting to discuss it, yeah, and at the riders meeting, it was completely open. And, and I suppose the organisers could choose to not let you get on the hill. Yeah, yeah, they could do, but yeah. they actually were super cool about it. All the riders, because of the whole atmosphere of the event, everybody right. just wants to go the fastest. So it's like, I want to go as fast as I can, so I'm wearing chainmail. Everyone's like, cool. But there was a riders meeting, and it was kind of said, like, that's outside the rule book. You know, the event organisers deemed that outside the rule book. We've discussed it with the riders, and the riders have said, go do your thing, skate fast, brother. Right. And then afterwards, that wasn't exactly stuck with you know right that wasn't excluded from the event that was presented like with the rest of the event so right so that was a sloppy so for the spirit of it for the spirit of skate fast yeah fuck yeah yeah because like i think it's but, a fucking metal if somebody wants to ride like a yeah. 60 pound 
like so do I just yeah. hellion tank the like will just kill a spectator yeah, sure. like, <laughs> if you come off wearing that shit you're gonna break some limbs Dude. you know you're gonna get yeah. hull drived into the ground fucking sad so like <laughs> respect for any rider that wants okay. to do it absolutely but but for, you would if, if you knew everybody else was gonna play by the rules you wouldn't go outside no. of them to go faster no okay because everybody's there because it because it's like Anders like the love that Anders put into it yeah yeah like that helmet you know like a complete work of art the fairings he made the suits he invested if we think Anders invested into it yeah he got robbed how do you feel he was robbed because it was a joint speed they were exactly the same third and fourth Pegged, yeah. So Anders, who put all of that into it. So why wasn't it a tie for third? It was. Oh. But it shouldn't have been. Oh. Because it was outside the rules. So you had one person outside the rules, oh. one person inside the rules, tied. Got it. So it's not a tie, is it? Right. No. When one person follows the rule third. but one person doesn't. Right. It's not a tie, and that's my point. There's Anders putting that level of love into yeah. it. Okay, I'm there for that. So that was a fair event organizers. Yeah. Yeah, so in terms of riders, I'm cool with a rider doing anything they want. But if you're at an event that has a rule book, it's, it's there so as everybody knows what the terms are. Right. And if you want to step outside the rule book, you shouldn't really do it at an event. So really, the event organisers... Okay, so it should actually be even more metal that you have to ride your 60-pound board <laughs> on an open road. <laughs> or the event is just an open category. Dude, you know? That would be so heavy. Oh, I so think, that was like I Signal think, Hill, I guess, was just like a bloodbath when that was the case. Yeah. When it was just like, do anything you want. People got so messed up because they brought to stuff they couldn't ride. If there was an open category, I would be there. And I would run some fucking heavy metal and do yeah. what needs to be done. I, I would be trying to skate the fastest I've ever skated in my life. And yes. I would have respect for everybody else that there is doing it. Okay, As cool. I said, So that's, that's the answer I'm looking for. That's, that's pretty clear. My only conflict is when there is a rule book. And that's flaunted. Okay. But yeah. All right, so top speed number two. You went home, changed your tuck. What else, yeah. did, what else did you change? So the, from one to two, you, did you, you didn't change wheels at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. So wheels, I experimented with one. So first top speed, I was on my old flywheels. Oh, okay. So they were... Got it. The fastest wheels that I had at the time... With some serious vintage flies. Wow, yeah. So that's what I was on for the first top speed. Nice. 92s, five spokes. Sick. And vintage, you know, yeah, they're, it's a little sketchy riding wheels that old. It is, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, um, Benny the Loser rode them and they exploded on him, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, have a set of, uh, I have a set of nearly new uh, amber 101 flywheels that I rode down wrist one time. One of them was, uh, no problem really, but one of them was very wobbly. Yeah. And it was a, like, the oscillation was like, whoom, 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 and like the, the, the rhythm was getting faster as I went faster, like whoom, 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 whoom. No good. No, but I wish no I could good. remove no the top speed because they're so fast. So for the second year, um, I really went into training. So I went out to Switzerland with Damien, and he's got a local hill. There's a really beautiful bit of tarmac 
it's the best part of a mile long and it's a perfectly steady gradient. So I'd get on my board, one push, get in my tuck, get up to speed, and I had a, a breaking point where at the end where I came out of my tuck, stood up, mm -hmm. and I was GPS running, and I run wheels, speed suits, weights, all sorts, and I just literally did days and days on this hill on the GPS. Just brute force And data. just, yep, collected data, collected data, collected data, and just worked shit out for top speed, specifically. Yeah. So we did like a few sessions at that spot and collected a hell of a lot of data. Um, and then I took that data, worked out what I thought was going on, and took it into the Heppier Wind Tunnel in Switzerland, and basically like did another load of crunching and compared what I thought was going on real world with the wind tunnel data and kind of, yeah. So how close were you? Yeah, you could just work shit out on hills. Yeah, apparently. Wind, wind tunnels are cool, right. <laughs> don't get me wrong. And, and probably, I mean, if you were to like, what, how expensive was it to go in the wind tunnel? Um, that was, it was an investment, but not as much as you'd think because Damien is Swiss French and that's where the wind tunnel oh, was. So he had, he's really good at talking to people. So he just basically walked in there and they've had downhill skiers and other like sports, gravity yeah. sport speed freaks there. So when Damien kind of went and spoke with them and explained who we were and what we were doing and why we were doing it, they were interested in us and kind of, yeah, we got a dynamic going and kind of, so we weren't on like full premium wind, wind tunnel rates. We were on like. Sweet. So if you probably, if you crunch the numbers, even if you were on full premium wind tunnel rates, it probably wouldn't be that much of a different cost than like several trips to Switzerland to ride. So. No, no. It was <laughs> but all it's right. cool that you had worked it out correctly, that you weren't just shocked that you were totally off. So. Yeah, no. And that, the, the other thing that you can do in a wind tunnel is go a lot faster. So yeah. I did a lot of training at 100 mile an hour. Because you, that's your plan to go there. Yeah. So, so how fast get, did you crank up the wind tunnel? Uh, at 133 mile an hour, I got blown off my board down the tunnel. Okay. <laughs> <And> that, uh, <laughs> so. Yeah. How far did that send you? Um, not, not too far because they hit the brakes. So okay. they pulled the pin on it the second that I went. And is it, a, kind of, is it a, a pull? The fan's sucking? Yeah, the fans are behind you sucking, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you've got a scoop in front of you, otherwise the air would be turbulent, yeah. so you need clean airflow. So there's actually a mesh in front of you. They're kind of like hexagon tubes, yeah, yeah, and all the air gets pulled through that, and it aligns the air so as you get really clean airflow. And that's, yeah, how the wind tunnels work. But yeah, 130 mile an hour, it wasn't, I didn't even get uncurled from my tuck. I actually got lifted off my board, so I was still in my tuck, when I left my board, so just so what would it take? You know, if like we get the China Hill, uh, China builds the world's fastest hill. That's like unlimited fast, like terminal. Yeah, I've been thinking about this. I, uh, that's why I asked. Yeah, <laughs> like so, you need like downforce. Where on your body do you need downforce? Like, so I mean, the problem with downforce is downforce is drag. Right. So you kind of end up in a loop where you you're gonna whether your body can take the physical loads for the downforce required to keep you on the board to kind of break through where the drag is, I think you're going to end up in a, a, a loop that's limited by our physical So that's going body. to be the, that'll be the ceiling for downhill speed is that spot where the downforce required to stay on the board causes you to no longer go any faster. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And 
Jojo Martinez has been in the wind tunnel as well. Um, and it was about 130 mile an hour where he as well. So that's two of us that have taken up to a, like the 130s and both of us just got and, ragged hard. And so when you came off, like, was it a slow lift off or was you like, you got Yeah, popped? instant, instant, done, gone. Huh. Yeah. So it was like a critical mass, like you didn't feel yourself get light on the board, like it just... No, I was... So I, I wonder if I there was, was like a bubble building up, like if you could find a way to disrupt it. I'd say fatigue came into it as well. You know, I'd done a lot of runs that day. Um, so I had a hand signal for when to turn the power off. And I had literally, it was just waggling my fingers, you know. You'd just given it. So I'd literally just gone, and then poof. So I kind of knew I was in trouble, you know. I was just like, you know, the the wind puts a lot of pressure onto you. And you you feel... Anything that's anything that's in the flow, yeah, you can feel. Speed. That's that's the other thing that the wind tunnel does. Is it gives you isolation when you're skating. Right, you feel you've everything. got so much going on. When you're in a wind tunnel, you can feel if an elbow's sticking out because it's just that it's elbow getting hit. Time, yeah. Nothing else. So, yeah. so were, were you in your full arrow kit, or had you not made that yet? Like your suit and everything. Yeah. No. So I was okay, in. So we got to go back to this. So you you got you got a special set of leathers made. Yeah. So yeah. tell me about that. You went to this, this shop that's been repairing your suits. Yeah, so um chap called Chris from Nine Lies Levers in England, um, he just does leather repairs, and he's always looked after my downhill suits. Um, he's a pretty cool guy, and I basically went to him after the first top speed. Um, I'd seen Carlos's techno suit. Right. And that was, I kind of saw that and was like, you know, rule books. Right. You've got to be in leathers. So okay, so exactly. So then it became aero leathers, and like I, I knew that they would work, and I knew that like your shins and your lower legs were really important. You need them to be lightweight. So we basically it's almost like handbag leather, you know. It's leather, but thinnest, it's, stretchiest leather you can get. Yeah, really, really. Leather and um, only. We templated our own suit um, out of fabrics, designed the suit. Um, we used aero zips, so sort of waterproof style zips. Mm -hmm. Kept all of the seams out of the airflow, tried to rotate seams, um, did hammer flat seams, um, and just made like the most aerodynamic set of levers that was possible. Um, and that, yeah, it was really significant. And that's, that's some of the stuff that I was testing on the hill in Switzerland, okay. so I knew it worked. Right, you know, like, that versus your regular suit, big yeah, difference. Yeah, like, yeah, the, it, I jumped like three, four mile an hour Whoa. at sixty mile an hour. I was Fuck, just like, I really need a new suit. <laughs> yeah, your 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 suit makes you can make as much difference with a suit as you can an aero helmet. No worries. Wow, not, you think an aero helmet makes a big as big a difference as a tight suit? No, no probably not. I'd say yeah. the suit probably makes a bigger difference. Aero helmets are just dope. <laughs> no man, like okay. So when you did you, did you take different helmets to the wind tunnel? Yeah. So what did you bring? Uh, I rode my King Kong. Okay. My Rosemary and the Indy. And as Indy. So you did not take the Acaro Longtail? No. That's a tragedy. Too much data. So when you're in the wind tunnel, I know, if but you that's try and like, do that's too the much. argument that we always make all the time. We're like, I bet this is actually just faster than an Aerolid. Yeah. Yeah, I know. We, other than it's really drafty, windy, rattles around on your head, it doesn't fit snug. So okay. when you are like 80, 90 miles an hour, mm -hmm. Like, things rattle around a hell of a lot. So, my fastest helmet is the Anders Indy. 
Sick. And like, that's the only one that I'd go a ton up in. Like, so after 100 mile an hour, like my reach, I love, and I, the, the overall balance of comfort, usability, practicality, and aerodynamics, the reach, like, it's yeah. awesome. Like, I it's love a, it. It's a racing helmet, but not necessarily yes. a speed helmet. So my reach is more aerodynamic than my King Kong. Okay, so that's good data. Yeah. But the Anders is the only one that over 100 mile an hour, the wind was still calm. So in the reach, it started getting gnarly, and you just everything would just start ripping at you and you'd have noise inside the helmet and they're just like right, eyes are not perfectly sealed like yeah you're, you're feeling it whereas in the anders shit just stayed calm and like even at 120 it was still relatively calm in the anders and That's it's so because of how awesome. big the chin is so ah, it's not that airflow it's this one it's the underneath airflow the wind that is coming underneath yeah, your body so i was on on target with the blind beast yeah, man. Yeah, you were. That's probably a really fast helmet if anybody can wear it. But i tell you what else was interesting. If I wasn't in the correct position with my aero helmet, then it was worse than the King Kong. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So if you're not... Like, you need to train. If you've got an aero helmet, you need to train with it. You need to spend miles skating in the thing and work out how to get it to work with your tuck. Perfect. Because if you've just got a tuck and you just stick an arrow on, doesn't mean you'll go faster. You may end up going going, going slower. Right, that's, so that's probably like the Akara Longtail is probably actually the fastest all-arounder like ever. Yeah, yeah, I think so, because when you're cornering, yeah. your head's still arrow. Yeah, it's so awesome. left, like... Yeah. But yeah, like, my, I, I would be slower if I didn't have my tuck correct in any arrow helmet. So a peanut helmet is awesome in all body positions right. and is good. An arrow helmet can beat it in the right position but if you're not in the right position then you're creating drag okay. so you've you've got to train you've got to get it so where did you get your hands on the uh the proper gimp suit excuse me cat suit uh that was basically from the first top speed like just you just you got the yeah gimp. you know yeah max and tim had that yeah. and like then it was like uh-huh and you you i had borrowed one off of uh, was it Lally. from that was it, Lally? So yeah, yeah. To get a spare. yeah. So I think it was you that showed. I think Tim and Max were keeping it super low key and not letting people see. And I think right, you I and like, Lally, yeah, 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 yeah. So that's when that came in. Um, and then um, Adam, as well. I got one of the Fletcher speed suits off of Adam. Uh -huh. um, so I've tested the Fletcher speed suit is better than the catsuit. Okay. Um, only marginally, and you've got to get really, really fast. So, like, at, like, 70 mile an hour, you can't tell them apart. At, like, 110 mile an hour, you then can. you can. Yeah. Okay. But you need to go that fast for them to, yeah. So, so there the, is... The catsuit's actually pretty good. Yeah, the catsuit's fucking awesome. Yeah. And for the fact that you can just crash in it and go, meh, I'll right, put another, another one on. One, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bucks, exactly, like. yeah. Yeah, whereas, like, if you crash in a Fletcher suit, you're a little bit gutted. Right. So, the Fletcher suit's... If you're serious, sure. Yeah. I'm not going to get one, but no. but I get it. Okay, so this brings us up to, like, so you went back to top speed number two, mm -hmm. and day one was not that fast. No, no, but it was, like, getting used to the hill, trying the different equipment. So I'd, I'd redesigned um, the lead on my board and made, like, a, an aero fairing underneath the board that linked the trucks and had all the lead aligned. 
Um, that skated really nice, actually. That was super nice. Did you nice. try any aero board stuff in the wind tunnel? No, because the board mounts. Oh, it's what stays steady. Yes. Ah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, I couldn't try board right, stuff. How on earth would you do that? Yeah. Because nah. that's, that's the thing that's mounted onto all the measuring equipment. So. Have you thought about uh, making a benchtop wind tunnel to test it? Yeah, I have. I've thought about yeah. this for years. Yeah. I've like always wanted to. Just because like, I'm a dork and I want to have a wind tunnel. But exactly, yeah. yeah. Like, so, like, the beta I got for some people who design their own uh, like model airplane wings and want to test like airfoil sections is you get uh, like boxes of drinking straws mm-hmm. and you just run through a table saw. And you get these slices of like lots of straws yeah, 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 to yeah, yeah, straighten them yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'd make one like, yeah, sit right on your bench top. It'd be perfect. Yeah. You could probably even do one fourth scale, uh, fi- you know, human figurine testing. Yeah. You know, I've got little 3D printed me's. How big? These ones ah, are like. Too small. Yeah, but they, yeah, they can be printed different sizes. One fourth scale is the magic size. Okay. I've, I talked to, the last time I was in the UK, I met a. Uh, uh, aerodynamicist from the Mer- then Mercedes Formula One team. Okay. And he told me that they test everything in one-fourth scale because it's as small as you can go and still have the Reynolds number work and it, you can still scale the air to that size. Anything smaller is inaccurate. But that they had, since they had very strict limits on wind tunnel time for full size, but no limits on how much they could test in miniature, they just had this little wind tunnel and tested the car in one-fourth scale all the time. Tried everything. Yeah. So if you could print yourself, I mean, one-fourth scale in a tuck, you'd only be this tall. Yeah. That's benchtop wind tunnel territory. So there you go. Yeah. A few, few less times in Switzerland. Mm. Okay, so first day was slow, but but your setup felt good, and you were pretty like up there in the, the standings. At least. Yeah, like, yeah. I already five. knew that. Yeah, exactly. It was like it was coming on, and like it was getting getting the line back down on the hill. Um, I was still skating the left hand line mm. at that time. And that was the first day I spent on the left-hand line, and that was the line that I'd skated previously the year before, so I just kind of stuck to that. Did you ever walk the track? Like, I was on the track, like, literally, so I walked that track multiple times okay. a day. So, so my accommodation was on the hill, and I came out every evening, and I walked up, and I always walk roads, so. Right. Like, every racetrack, Kozakoff, I walk, everything. Yeah, I just, I walk hills, I look at cracks, I look at grain. I, I didn't at... start doing it until probably 2013. I was so stupid before that. Yeah. So many tracks, you get so much time out of a little smooth part of the road in the right place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I walked I walk the hill a lot and spent a lot of time on the hill looking at the tarmac very so, closely. And you, and you chose the left-hand line for the absence of the crack? Uh, no, I changed. So the first day I spent on the left-hand line. And it was actually chatting with Delua. And I was like, what are you doing? What ride, where are you riding? And he was like, I ride the crack. And I'm like, yeah, you're riding the crack? He's like, yep, bop, bop. Bop, bop. It's done. No problem. I and I was like, around, okay, yeah. fuck. And like, the people that were faster than me were riding the crack. So I was like, I've got to do it. I've just got to do it. So this is something you were doing there too that I noticed that was vastly different than me, which is that I pushed off at the start of top speed like it was a race or a qualifying run mm-hmm. and pushed as fast as I could. And that was like important to me. Mm-hmm. Turns out it's not important at all. Yeah, so no, I, I was far more focused on assembling my tuck. Right, because you so learned I, how important that was. Yeah, so I had, like, my feet reference markers, and I, like, had parts of my tuck to be mindful of and things that I needed to concentrate on. And when I push, you get your heart rate up. 
Yeah. You get like out of breath. You're that puffing. Totally it happens to me. And, and so it was literally like just get rolling, and like by the time you've made it around that corner, you're doing 50 mile an hour anyway. So right. the difference of like five. Because you're right. We figured out that we're still accelerating. Yeah. At the speed trap. So. So yeah, I, I don't. I don't. I wouldn't say that if you push off, you couldn't push your top speed. It may be that if you push off, you might actually be able to push your top speed. But for me, being calm, composed, having my body position spot on and not being out of breath was more important than getting a big kicking and then kind of having my adrenaline up and being like imperfect, pumping. Yeah, yeah. so it, it was, my runs were calm. You know, like I wasn't winding myself. When I race, I wind myself up. When I race, I'm charged and I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. But this was a lot more zen. It was a lot more like, okay, remember this, remember that. Make sure you've got that. Okay, that's your line. Look for that marker, you know, and it was right. a lot more methodical. So, yeah, I wasn't really pushing at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah keeping it chill. So on day two was a little bit more, it was still slow. Day two was slow. Like, no one was even coming close to Carlos's speeds, right? It was day two afternoon when... It was like the wind it changed, came on. like yeah. in one run. So in the, in the morning, it was the pre-lunch runs, I changed my line and I switched over uh, to riding the crack mm -hmm. and kind of dialed that in and I hit the crack for the first time and just went bop, bop, and was still on my board and was like, it works. And then, then you're lined up for the speed trap and it's cool. So that was the best line. So I started skating that line in the morning and I had some good speeds. I did like an 84 mile an hour. Yeah. And like, yeah, there was some good speeds laid down that morning. So I had a windsurf app. So I had an app on my phone that had the wind direction. So you know the bottom's yeah. tidal. Yeah. So the wind flips around mm -hmm. all day long there. So I knew that the wind was flipping. So when we stopped for lunch, okay. I was on my phone app seeing what the wind was doing. So I knew the tailwind was coming. So I changed my shit, changed my equipment, had my wheels, changed my line, got it dialed in, was completely comfortable on the hill, and I knew that tailwind was coming after lunch. So I was like, it is now. That's <laughs> is... you were prepared. Yeah. That's awesome. And that's when I put the speed suit on. The speed leathers. You hadn't ridden in that yet. No. Wow. I, because it's so dangerous. Right, why? Yeah. Why risk it if it's not so, going to be and, that run? And I actually... So you were, you were waiting for the record. Like, you knew the wind was going to change because otherwise, if the wind was going to stay the same, would you still have put it on to try to win the event? Yeah, I think I would have, ultimately. But maybe not at that point. Okay. So it took some balls to put that suit on. Like, I didn't... I seriously thought about not doing it. I actually was sitting in my room with the suit and I was like, it's just stupid, you know, if I come off at these speeds in this suit, I'm toast. I know, but what if you didn't do it? Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. Well, I, I did like, it, I, I did do I it. I hold on to this forever. There's this uh, drive-by trucker song and the line goes, it's like about car racing, and the line goes, knowing that it's in you and you never let it out is worse than blowing any engine or any wreck you'll ever have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, as I said, I'd, I'd put all of that thought, effort and everything into making that suit. Yeah. I knew I was going to ride in it, but I still had that moment of, like, this is stupid. <laughs> you know, this is <laughs> That's what I asked McIntyre when he showed up at the day after his wreck in, like, a neck brace or the cane and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, hey, Mac, was it worth it? And he just goes... Hell 
yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, why why do we do these things? You know, like why indeed? Yeah, and so so yeah. I, I because put, like eighty people care. Yeah, it's, I I do it for myself, really. You know, it's my own. Yeah, most most of the shit I do is for myself. Yeah. It's just like you've got to do it, and it's just I came there to skate as fast as I could. Right. I designed a suit to go faster. You know, like if I exactly that. If I didn't put it on, right, I'd probably you'd give you'd up have to skating. Go the rest of your life, I'd, and no, I'd probably just quit skating because right. you reached. That's it. You've peaked. You've right. done it. You've it's over. you've gone all the way to your limit, found where it is, and stepped back from that. That's it. That's the end. So, like, if you're not progressing and doing this shit, then it's over. So, yeah, I put the suit on and was, like, knew that the wind was going to be there. And then we were all up the top of the hill and the wind kicked in and people were like, should we even skate in this? Is this safe to skate in? Right, you know? and it's swirling. Like, like, it's never just a straight wind on that road. You get to that side road and it's yeah weird coming in from the side. Yeah, it's scary. It, the wind was intimidating in itself, you know? Like, yeah. oh, I, remember like I dropped in on that run. And, like, it just sounded different. Yeah. Like, I was noticing how much faster I was going by the first third of the hill. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. Exactly. That's the point where you can hear your front washer jingle and you know you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, yeah. You're certainly nuts, man. You're certainly nuts eh, for that. That was just dumb. Yeah, man. Nothing to prove there. But, so you, so you pushed you it for that run. You inspired me. And could you, could you tell... That it was different on that run. Or I guess we knew so, a little bit because we heard uh, Bassey went through the speed trap and we heard the first ever 140K. Yeah. And everybody's ears were like, pricked up. We're like, hold on. This is it. Like, if it's yeah, happening, this is it. it's happening now. So, yeah. We, the other thing about that suit is it feels beautiful to skate in. I'm you sure know, you know so levers stretchy. are bulky. You know, they have a, a... They're cumbersome. You know, they're not. Like, they're comfy. They can be nice. They can be comforting. But they're well, cumbersome. Sam, Brennan Bass. It's a B name. Yeah. But yeah, that the speed suit, man, is so comfortable to be in, but you feel exposed. You know, you feel yeah, in the elements. Aware. And it's 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 a nice feeling though. It is like it's exhilarating. So yeah, as soon as like you say, as soon as you dropped in you knew it's different ballpark. You know, I was I was in that suit for the first time on like the wind howling like that to the point where it was intimidating at the start line. Dropped in, and yeah, before you reach the speed section, you already know. You know, you knew instantly. And as soon as I hit the main part, yeah, I knew I was traveling the fastest I've ever traveled. You know, yeah. like, no, there wasn't. I mean, you normally you feel like one, two mile an hour difference. You know, if you go two mile an hour faster than you've ever been before, right. you know it, you know? And that was just, yeah, mind boggling. Kind of, kind of zoned out, kind of just fully was just. just Maintain the going, plan. yeah, exactly. Go through the routine of everything that I've already been doing. Keep it calm, keep it chill. But somewhere in my mind, a klaxon was going off. You know, it was just like, yeah, this is fast, fuck. And then smoked through the speed trap, and I knew how fast I'd been going. But that the gap between the speed trap and the corner, that's where I fucked up. So by the time I looked up. And got a gauge on where the corner was. I'd travelled so much more ground. I hadn't got my knee out yet. Oh, so man. I entered that sweeper with my knee still locked. Holy shit! And hadn't really started air braking much. So I, I uncurled in the entrance to the sweeper, and that's kind of where I ended up shooting myself basically because I, I was like running through the sweeper full lean, 
fully cranking, steering fine, but nevertheless, I was running out of road and I started running towards the concrete wall and just like, you can't look at it, you know, oh, I'm no, still, no. I'm you looking just, at the exit, looking at the exit, it. but it was in my peripheral vision, you know, uh -huh. the concrete wall was present in my vision. How close do you think you got to it? Like, so, yeah. so we're talking like if there'd been hay? Yeah, if there'd been hay, I'd, I would have been hayed. Yeah. Destroyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. you would have got dead, yeah. 100%. Like, I, well, you know what, like, riding the paint lines was like, you know, yeah. you didn't want to go over the paint thick. lines. Yeah. So, I was in the danger zone, you know, I was oh like, my God. fully, and that's, that, that shook me up way more than the run. So, like, I was utterly exhilarated from the speed of the run, but when I reached the shutdown, everybody was going nuts, you know, everyone right. was just like, well, hey. I couldn't talk to anyone. Right, because you I, had just like gone clockwork orange. I lay on the floor and was just jelly, you know, right. literally shaking jelly. Couldn't have a coherent conversation with anybody. And it took me maybe like, I don't know, five, six, seven minutes before I could get up off the floor and like acknowledge what the fuck had just happened. And it was the concrete wall that did that, not the speed. Yeah, yeah. You know, but everyone's just like, What's wrong with you? You know, obviously you're stoked. Everybody happy, else but this fast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But the reason I was a mess was the concrete wall. And then the, the hard bit, like that was awesome. To do the speed and to do that was absolutely awesome. But one of the hardest things that I've ever done was the run afterwards. Oh, shit, because you've just done the concrete wall. Yeah, but... And you knew you wanted you know to go it. faster. Yeah, but the thing is, is that you know it, you know. So the first time I did it, I had no knowledge of it. You know, so I, I didn't know I was going to go 90 mile an hour and I didn't know I was going to run out of road. Right. But the second time when I'm standing there at the top, you're like, I'm about to go 90 mile an hour again and I'm choosing to do it this time. You know, but the first time was in ignorance, the second time. But oh. it's that same thing. If you don't do it, right, it's over. So, yeah, you, ha you have to do it again. But the second time, I, I did uncurl in time for the corner and, and okay. I took the corner and it's absolutely fine. And I was like, yeah, that... So Which one it was, was faster? The first one. First one, yeah, that yeah. was the one. Like that was the one where everybody hit the yeah. fastest. But the the second one was still like it was still smoking. Yeah. high eighties. Yeah. Or it was over ninety. I'll have to check the results. I think it was no. I think it was a ninety because I did a ninety. Yeah, it was a ninety-one. My first one. Yeah. So, yeah. Fuck. So then, at that point, like it wasn't quite over because on that second run, Tim Dell didn't get a speed. Yeah, good, yeah. So that that made so, it tense. That this made is it the tense. Thing that I personally yeah. I I disagreed and I don't get me wrong, like I'm a big Tim Dell fan. I'm a yeah, yeah, bigger Tim, Tim Dell fan now. He's got some awesome I've been stuff. like I've been racing with him since I started. We race in juniors together, like and I've been a fan all the way up because he's been the kind of guy who could just like disappear for three years and just show back up and kick my fucking ass. Yeah. And he's like got that one style where he's just so fast, never really like got super dialed with sliding. But like, while I was learning to pre-drift, Tim studied the blade. And on the right day, under the right circumstances, he's unbeatable. Yeah. Ten years later. So, yep. but even on that day, I was still complaining loudly that I didn't think he should get another run. Because it was going to be at a different time of the day. And I thought yeah. that was whack. Yeah. And especially, you know, if we talk about genuine fairness, theoretically, every single rider had a equal chance that the timing system was going to fuck up for them. Mm-hmm. And, like, sorry, Tim. And I totally get it from his perspective. If I were him, I, you know, though, I don't know if I would have cried for another run. Because I don't know if that would have been sportsman But that, that was another one where the event organizer actually came to me oh, and cool. was like, 
should Tim get another run? And I said yes, because I like I think that as well. It did, but he didn't get it, and it fucked up. And I, I was like absolutely sweating it because yeah, Tim's fast as fuck. Right, he was like within a, well, a we, mile an hour. It was quite no, possible. No, we, we're the only ones that did ninety one. So me and Tim okay, both yeah, so broke ninety one. So less we were than a mile an hour. Exactly. Quite possible if he could bump you off. Yeah. And like the wind the conditions wind, later in the day could be even faster. Exactly. Yeah. But he didn't get his run, and right. that same thing. So, like what you were saying about if you run a, a leg fairing and win a race, then people are like, "Oh, it's a leg fairing." And if right. Tim didn't get that run, and I had the record, then forevermore it'd be like, "Yeah, but if Tim had that run, you know." No, and it firstly, was like, firstly, no, nobody would have said that because everyone forgets. Secondly, yeah, 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 yeah. But would it have been more fair to just disregard the results from have. the second run and to say, "Oh well, you both got a time on yeah, that first run." Yeah, but what about the people? Oh, no, there. just just for you and Tim, I mean, since your yeah, your, yeah, yeah. your second time was slower. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe there's there's no right way of doing it really. So I mean, the event organizer right. was of the mind that it should be honoured and he should get his run. I think the like, right way to do it would have been to give it to him right away, not yeah. to say we're going to put you at the end of the day with Street Luge in different yeah. conditions. Yeah, that, for yeah. me, that would be the only right way to do it. Say, Tim, you get a rerun. We're taking you up to the top right now with a car, and we're sending you right back down. If Tim and if Tim had got it on that run, I would have been gutted. With it being at the end of the day, it would have yeah. been controversial, for sure. Right. But, if you like, that would have been controversial for Tim, not for me. And for me, I hold myself accountable to my own standards. Right. So when the event organiser asked me, I was like, no, nah, he gets his run. No, it's legit. And he and didn't go like, faster, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. And, and here we are. So I, w I was sweating for that afternoon, you know, like, like you say, it was a luge. Yeah. So I'm just back in my room, and you've won, but you haven't. But you haven't. Yeah. yeah. And and so and you're just like, and especially oh my too, God. Like, the funny thing to think about is how much less stressed you've been. If you'd, get, if you'd gotten second place, you probably would have been fired up. Yeah. You'd be yeah, like, yeah, I went 91. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. if it was Switch, yeah. like, that's so crazy fast. I've had a great day. But yeah. because you might have won, yeah. Yeah. it totally changes the dynamic. Well, like, the thing about me, man, like, I've been racing for years, and I've done all sorts, and I've had loads of achievements. But I don't actually often win. You know, like, right. I've had, like, I do well consistently. No, you, I'm, like, been, ferociously you know, competitive. you guy for probably the longest anybody has. Yeah. That, you know, that you're like, still consistently, like, when you go to a race, like, your name is in the top of the qualifying list. You know, like I said, you made the, the semifinals at Kazakov in the yeah. last two years. You're definitely still on the pace. Yeah. And that's tremendous. Yeah. That to like have a, that a decade that of racing later. Of racing still career there. is... Yeah. Hardly anyone has ever done that, and certainly nobody right now. Yeah. So, like, that's, but but that was, like, to have that be, like, your big win, be, like, basically the biggest win. Yeah, it mean, as well, like, what speedboarding means to me. Right. Because, like. No, that you just, like, I, won I, your own life. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like, that. I would say that. I would say I am a speedboarder. You yeah. know, that's, that is the essence of what makes me skate, what made me pick up a skateboard, what made me go downhill. Speedboarding, man. So yeah, I always maintain. I've said this before, but I always maintain that that downhill, like racing, came first. Racing always comes first. But, like the, there's the like the adage that uh, one was the first bicycle race when the second bicycle was finished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That like at the beginning of all this, you know, if you got a skateboard and there was just you know you you had a skateboard and you got it out of a mail order catalog and there was no no magazine, no videos, no nothing. The most obvious thing in the world to do was to just put it at the top of a hill and go to the bottom. Yeah. And then to go to a bigger one. And like Roger Hickey, the same thing. The first time he ever saw a skateboard in the '60s, 
he didn't even know how to stand on it. He sat on it. But he still went to the top of the hill, mm -hmm. and that was just the most obvious thing. So uh, there's, to me, there's great, I don't know, historical purity in pursuits of measurable speed. Yeah. And yeah. because that's not hand to hand, there are no, oh well, this rider wasn't there or whatever. It's, it doesn't matter. That it's it's numbers. It's undeniable. Yeah, exactly. So. And like 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 the same for me. The the way that I've been that consistent rider that's always been in that top category for such a long period is because I actually just race myself. So I enjoy racing even when I lose. I will have like an awesome race with someone and lose and I'll still be like, that was fucking amazing. I don't need to win to enjoy racing. I enjoy racing. So that's why I don't quite have the edge that makes me be like Delua and do what needs to be done to win. So I will race my heart out, do really well, but there will be someone out there that is willing to do that. Right, I've, I've talked that about this bit for years. More. I call it the killer instinct. Yeah. That just when you get to that point where you have to just let your eyes roll back in your head and, and you're going to come out the other side yeah. somehow. So the problem with it is it can't be maintained. No. You cannot can't. stay there forever. No. And if you have that, when you lose it, you, you're no longer the same person. You can't Absolutely. have that. I know. So I, I, I get I, it. That was, I would say that was the source of my power. Yeah, there you go. And I wasn't a studied, you know, craftsman of racing in the way that you've been. And as a result, you know, I'm still around. I'm still doing things, but I'm not. Uh, I was sharp and I was successful for a long time because of my willingness to take risks that I could back up with enough good riding. Yeah. But it was in that order. I mean, I always race my heart out, you know. Like, don't get me wrong, I don't, like, not give it my all when I'm on the racetrack, you know. Yeah. Like, if I'm on the line, I am on the line to do the best that I can. But my, my meter that I measure myself by is me, you know. So it doesn't matter who's on the line next to me. I'll think about them strategically. I'll know where their strengths and weaknesses are on the track, and I'll be doing my best to counter that. But yeah, at the end of it, it's whether... So if I, if I mess up, if I do a shit line, if I do something wrong, then I'd be bummed about racing. But if I've done everything that I can do and I've raced wickedly and I've lost, I'm still cool. No problem. And yeah, that's, that's where the longevity that's... comes from. That's why, like, ten years later, I still love racing. Right, I, I just you, you love can always go racing. out and push yourself, and yeah. that's all right. Yeah, I, I can still learn, evolve. You know, like, I've, I've learned Swiss braking last few years. I've, like... That's just sorted my tool. tuck out. I've sorted like you know. I'm, I'm right, still learning. In my, in my knowledge, you have not been a potent pre-drift rider. Most no, of your I career. can slide. Yeah. So I can, in terms of like, can I? Yes. Yeah, you can stop. You can ride a mountain road and and. No, no, I, I, I can, I can bang a pretty decent pre-drift at like fifty mile an hour. But it's not as tuned as your foot brake. No, but the thing is, is that lots of people, particularly lighter riders, will be able to do it better than me. So as a strategy for racing, for me, it's pointless. Right, you might as well... Where is... But, uh, do you know uh, Big Dave? What's his name? What's his actual last name? He's from California, long hair. Uh, I, I, I think I asked him a long time ago about why he doesn't race. And then he told me that he free rides because he's, quote, just trying to do what his dick's good at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. But I, there's really something to that, to recognizing that 
you're better off sharpening your strengths rather than trying to exactly. compensate for weaknesses. So, because because I measure myself by my own meter, I'm not worried about what other people think about me. Yeah. So, like, if kids like all free ride and they all like speed check because they think that's okay. what you have free to be doing. Free yeah, it's like, over. It's go fine. do it. Yeah. We're all. It's all just racing now. But anyway. as a strategy, foot braking and gripping for me is just phenomenal. So I'm fast. Yeah. So exit speed. Right. Like foot braking, I know how to use it strategically. So I can set up, I can like make lines awkward for speed checkers, totally. so they have to take more compromised lines, mm -hmm. and then their slides aren't quite so on point, and they don't like carry out as much speed as possible. Right, so and we're cornering on worn wheels. Exactly, yeah, whereas I keep my wheels fresh right. and sharp, and I've got like fucking grippy wheels. You can go through a shitload less of them in a race season. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm using it, I'm making people take like poorer slide lines, and they're shooting up my inside, passing me where they don't want to be passing me, doing a shitty slide, and then they're just draft bait for me. You know, right. we come out of the corner, right. and, and I've got three, four people in front of me. Unequivocally, fastest in a straight line. <laughs> yeah, and I've, I've been accelerating since I picked my foot up, which right. is before I turned in. That's You've true. been accelerating since the apex. Right. So I've been accelerating for several more meters than you. Right, I'm funny. already rolling clean. I would say that I, I use a pre-drift most of the time. Now, probably the same way you use a foot brake, where I want to slide high mm. and hook up and turn, yeah. so that it's it's. So if your apex sliding now, but yeah, I don't yeah. slide to the apex heaven for a, a little while because it's slower. It yeah. for sure is. It can be tactical. Oh, it's beautiful as well. Like, it's fun it's, to do, it's, but yeah, it's not it, faster. It's the most you want a threshold brake, and the hardest I can brake is with my wheels. Yeah, but maybe I should learn to Swiss brake. I don't know. But yeah, like. Yeah, for sure you can brake hard with wheels. For sure you can. But yeah, I can lay down a lot of rubber on a yeah. Swiss brake oh, yeah. as well. So, but it's more about the acceleration out the corner. So, yeah. by the time you guys have hooked up, I've already been hooked up for meters, right. and I'm beginning to steamroll. And you're I'm well back in my tusk, and I've got draft bait in front of me, and it's just, I love it, man. It's like comical. You know, I laugh. You know, people shoot at my inside sliding, yeah. and I'm just like, yes. yeah. <laughs> love it. So yeah, it it's. There's like an entire generation of racers out there that haven't got a fucking clue what I'm doing. Right. You know, they're just like, oh shit, I've got to race Pete. Uh, you what foot do brake, I... don't you? Yeah, I do, dude. I and can't. they're just like, um, uh -oh. I've never ridden with a foot breaker. And I'm just like, yeah, better watch out. You're about to win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I'll be in your way. So at this point, you know, I, I don't feel like I need to ask you this, but I ask most people I talk to uh, whether or not they're still in love with skateboarding. Yes. I don't feel like I really need to ask you if I look around, but are you a fa are you a race fan? Do you like, do you like watching racing? Do you you know do you follow any, everything? Yeah, yeah, not yeah. So I've I've followed the series this year. Like, so yeah. I, I haven't been able to race this year. I'm still like got niggling tendon tendon injuries and shit going on. So like. Yeah, I still followed all the races and okay. like, yeah, like watch who's in the heats and we'll, I'll look at the brackets and yeah. like go like, oh, they're going to get them. Yeah, 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 I do. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll follow the racing. This is um, the going forward box. This is 100 mile an hour. Okay. I'm working on. So you've seen the trucks. Oh, shit. Yeah. So this is where I'm playing now. Like wheels make a fucking big difference. So these came out. So I had to get some of them. Okay. Max and Tim were rocking these, so I got these off of Kev. It's a shame that they made these black. 
pigment makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. So, Colt have been prototyping new high rebound thane. These are China. Hmm? These are China though. No. No, these are these are ABEC. Yeah. Okay. The, oh, well, you're right. Same. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's aimed. Because I know they made a very uh, exact copy of this wheel in China. No, so that's aimed. Okay. So that is that is um, prototype super high rebound. Okay. Our cutting edge formula. Um, cut down raptures, which I gave a try at last top speed. And that. Yes. Did you ride these? Ah, they're wobbly. Uh, that's a hard thing. You make a big wheel. So keep them straight. Yeah, they haven't been properly tested yet, okay. but they will be. Yeah, they I will mean, be. I'm sure you can get more if you'd want more. Well, yeah, I'm kind of a little bit burnt on that because he knew what I wanted and why I was doing it, and like he said that he even mentioned the fresh pour and shit, and they were like marked old things bottom of the boxes uh, so you know I'm, I wouldn't be burnt twice all right yeah fuck that yeah should be a shame so yeah cool yeah, possibles possibles and I will run them these feel hard or not yeah. actually but just stiff no they are they are they were a little too hard we are gonna go softer Sick. but yes 97s though the big the big guns so they're both okay 90s and 97s yeah sick this is the 100 mile an hour box. Sick. Mm -hmm. this. this is the... And these set of brand new cherry bombs. Yeah, they're just, they're just <laughs> in there. And yeah, these just need to be tried for their mess. You haven't tried those? No, I haven't tried these yet. You tried them? No, I haven't tried them. I like had no delusions of grandeur going that fast. I'd say if I end up at another Top Suit event, I'll probably try... Well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll see what you're going to ride and I'll ask. So, these, <laughs> so this box is coming to the Swiss Hill, basically. This is going to go to the Swiss Test Hill. Sick. And I shall find out. So yeah, you can you can just rock up and I'll ask. By the time I get there, I will be knowing which one of these is. But I'll be trying to ride Colt wheels yeah. because the biggest bummer ever is that I was on the fucking seismics because no shit. It, that was the fastest wheel I had access to. You know, I couldn't get any of these. Yep. These weren't about. These were not big enough. Old Thane, and of what I had access to, that was the fastest wheel I had. But I was so bummed about that, so bummed about it. But it came to the same thing, you know? Like, I was like, do I want to go as fast as I can? Right, or do yes. you want to be brand loyal? Yeah, so am I going to put my fastest wheel on? Yes. Right. And it is a fast wheel. Yeah, it, it is. is. Yeah. I but didn't. I should, maybe I should have taken a run on some flywheels or something I never did. But that, I would say, is faster. Oh, yeah, I would agree. So, it needs to be done. It needs to be done. But since the last top speed, I've now got faster wheels, without doubt. Yeah. I've got a suit that I'm super happy with. Faster helmet. A faster helmet, and I've fixed another couple of things in my tuck that have taken me fucking years. And I've finally clocked them. And I know that I've got data that is faster than when I was there. So I know that right now I am capable of a few more mile an hour than I was at the last top Even speed. just under the same conditions. So that's, yeah. there you go. So, yeah, skate faster. <laughs>